Here we go. It's Monday, January the 22nd in the year of our Lord 2023, and you are listening to Law and Gospel. What we do on Mondays is we take a look at the readings for the coming Sunday, which is the fourth Sunday after the Epiphany, January the 28th in the year of our Lord 2024. Now, I'm going to read to you a section from the readings, and I want you to guess whether it's the Old Testament or the New Testament I'm reading from. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. Now, if you've been listening to the program for some years, you will notice that this is a statement of the gospel, not of the law. There's nothing you have to do according to this statement, in order to be forgiven, to have your sin covered, and the Lord count against you no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. So I would say the majority of listeners would say that this is a New Testament passage. Well, guess what? It is not. Each Sunday, you have an Old Testament reading, an epistle reading, a gospel reading, but you also have three other items in the liturgy. One is called an introit or entrance, which is often spoken of at the beginning of the service. Then you have a collect of the day, which is a summary of the theme for that day. And you also have a gradual. Now the gradual and the introit are from the Old Testament. In fact, the statement I just read is from Psalm 32 verses 1 through 7. Isn't that amazing? So many people, when they think of law and gospel, they would say the Old Testament is law, but the New Testament is gospel. That is a mistake. Because even in the Old Testament books, there is plenty of gospel. Oh, there certainly is law, Ten Commandments, ceremonial laws, moral laws, but there's also the gospel, the promise about through Eve will come a Savior, which occurred in the life of the Virgin Mary. And you take a look at certain passages in the Old Testament, 
like in Isaiah, where it says, God laid on Jesus the iniquity of us all. He paid for it. So these passages are really important. How do you distinguish between law and gospel? If there's something you have to do to get what you want, that would be law. For example, when I was growing up, I heard about other kids that get an allowance from their parents. So I asked my parents, can I have an allowance? And they said, yes, we'll give you so much money a week if you do the dishes, take out the garbage, clean your room, and make the house pretty neat. See, those were things I had to do in order to get an allowance. It's like wages. When I worked at Chrysler, I didn't get a gift. I got wages, which I merited. In contrast to that, in the Christian faith, you inherit the gifts from God. You don't merit them. So I found that interesting, reading the introit for the fourth Sunday after the Epiphany, talking about that the steadfast love from God surrounds the one not who obeys the Lord, but who trusts in the Lord. Boy, is that not a significant difference in Christian faith compared to the world faith. And blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered, covered with the blood of Jesus Christ. So without further ado, let's kind of take a look at the Old Testament reading for this coming Sunday, Deuteronomy chapter 18. This is Moses speaking to the people of Israel. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen, just as you desired of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly, when you said, let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God, or see this great fire anymore, lest I die. That's what was happening on Mount Sinai. And that was God speaking to his people through Moses. Yes. And what Moses is saying, that another prophet will be raised up from among your brothers. Now, why is that important? Because that means he is a human being. And that's why we really celebrate 
the incarnation of our Lord Jesus Christ. That incarnation is when he became a human being in the womb of Mary, born the Son of God. Yes, he is our brother. The Lord said to me, I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. See, this is a wonderful, wonderful relationship between the Father and the Son. The Father has commands as to what Jesus should be preaching. In fact, remember on the Mount of Transfiguration, what does God the Father say to the disciples? In regard to Jesus, he says, listen to him. That's why the entire Old and New Testament are many, many sounds from Jesus himself. Remember on Mount Sinai, when Moses saw a burning bush? It's very clear from that Exodus passage that though the bush was not burning, the one who was there was called the angel of the Lord, none other than Jesus himself. And we are to listen to him. God continues in verse 19. Whoever will not listen to my words, that he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. But the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name that I have not commanded him to speak or who speaks in the name of other gods, that same prophet shall die. And the word die there is referring to an eternal death in hell itself. In fact, that's kind of picked up in the gospel for this Sunday from Mark chapter 1, verse 21 to 28. Jesus and the disciples went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, that's a Saturday, Jesus entered the synagogue and began teaching. But the people, it says, were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. What does that mean? The scribes were always quoting from other scribes. Jesus was saying new things that they had not heard of before. That's why in my sermons, I always love 
to make sure that they hear something that they are unaware of. It may be something they've read in the Bible and forgotten, or it may be something that's important to the text. So, by your knowledge, this weak person is destroyed, the brother for whom Christ died. If his conscience is weak and he sees you eating food offered to idols. See, in Jesus' day, eating the food offered to idols was a way to have a relationship with that idol, to believe in him, to trust in him. Thus, when a Christian would eat food offered to idols, he would be sinning against the brothers and wounding their consciences when it was weak. And therefore you sin against Christ. Paul says in verse 13 of 1 Corinthians 8, If therefore food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. Now he's referring to the meat of the sacrifices. And so we today have a number of things we should not do in front of people lest we cause them to stumble. Some people do not want to be around smoking. And so it is wrong to smoke in their house or in their presence. And there are many other things that we need to be careful of when we deal with our brothers. So, the gospel says, Jesus was teaching as one who had authority. And then it says in verse 23 of Mark 1, there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, which means he was demon-possessed. And he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Now, that's really interesting that the demon would correctly understand who Jesus was. But what did Jesus do? He rebuked him, saying, be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him. See, that reminds us going back to Deuteronomy chapter 18. The prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name that I have not commanded him to speak or who speaks in the name of other gods, that same prophet shall die. In the sense that demon 
was a prophet. And he was saying the words not given to him by Jesus Christ, but given to him by the devil himself. And so Jesus rebuked him and told him to get out of that body. And when that happened, the congregation was all amazed. And they began to question among themselves, saying, what is this? Not only have we heard new teaching with authority, but he commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And verse 28 says, At it once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. Jesus had many followers, both because of his teaching and because of his exorcism. So let's take a look at 1 Corinthians chapter 8, the epistle for the day. Concerning food offered to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge. This knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. See, if you have a knowledge that is puffing you up, you are becoming arrogant and you are not listening to the word of God. If anyone imagines that he knows something he does not yet know as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he is known by God. What a wonderful promise that we receive. Therefore, as to the eating of food offered to idols, we know that an idol has no real existence, and there is no God but one. For although there may be so-called gods in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord Jesus Christ through whom we exist. That is a tremendous passage because the demon was operating on the basis of a false god, the devil himself, and he was saying things that were not commanded by him to say from God the Father. And that's why God told him depart from the man. However, Paul says, not all possess this knowledge. For some, through former association with idols, eat food as really offered to an idol and their conscience, being weak, is defiled. Then Paul explains why that occurs. Food 
will not commend us to God. We are no worse off if we do not eat and no better off if we do. But take care that this right of ours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. So I can see a Christian going to the marketplace and buying meat that may be offered to idols, but they're doing it for a dinner. They're not doing it because they think that they're eating that food will be better for them. No. For if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will he not be encouraged if his conscience is weak to eat food offered to idols? So what's the conscience? The conscience refers to the faith that we have been given by the Holy Spirit. And that faith trusts what God has to say, not what demons or false prophets have to say. So, a person whose conscience is weak, he will be encouraged to eat meat offered to idols and so break the first commandment. So by your knowledge, this weak person would be destroyed. The brother for whom Christ died. In our day, it wouldn't be so much eating meat offered to idols, but how many times have young people been motivated to take drugs because their friends take drugs and they say, oh, I got a high from them. I feel so much better. Of course, soon the drug wears off and they don't feel so much better. By your knowledge, this weak person is destroyed, the brother for whom Christ died. Thus, verse 13 says, uh, verse 12, thus sinning against your brothers and wounding their conscience when it is weak, you sin against Christ. Boy, if that isn't, the true meaning of sin. Just spell sin. What's at the center of it? Is I, S-I-N. I becomes more important as to what I want to do rather than what Christ, through the Holy Spirit, encourages me to do. That's why Paul says in verse 13, if food makes my brother stumble, 
I will never eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. And he's talking there about the sacrificial food. Now, today we don't have food in the marketplace offered to idols, not as much as it was in Jesus' day when there was so much idolatry going on. But there are other things, as I mentioned, drugs or abortion or suicide or other things that puts a person out of the kingdom of God because of his sinful attitude that has no repentance. Yet, going back to the Old Testament reading from the introit, blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity. See, I don't think a lot of Christians realize that. That if you have been baptized or come to faith in Jesus Christ, God does not regard you as a sinner because your sins have already been forgiven. When did that occur? It occurred when Jesus died on the cross. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they are doing. And to have that kind of promise from God that Jesus gives to the cross is wonderful. It's a promise that a lot of people don't understand. That's why the ministry of John the baptizer is so important, where he shows people how they are sinners. For what purpose? So that they may repent of their sins and come to a knowledge of the full forgiveness of Jesus Christ. In fact, the introit continues, in whose spirit there is no deceit. Now, you and I, we know there's deceit in our spirit, but Jesus paid the cost for that by his death on the cross. Therefore, God recognizes us as sinless. Join us tomorrow for the hymn on Law and Gospel. God bless you. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.